America for 300 years has been the land of promise for the rest of the world. The land of new frontiers. New opportunities. Yeah, we can't you to get up. Clicking sounds. Sounds that reveal the presence of radioactive rain. The instrument, a Geiger counter, is converting radioactivity into sounds we can hear. And welcome to Tank Riot. This is episode 80. Woohoo! Tonight, we will be talking about the work and life of Mr. Charles Fort. I am Sputnik. With me, as always, is Victor. Hello. And of course, Tor. Hey there. So, before we get into Charles Fort and all things Fortian, let's do a bit first. Yes. The Tank Riot crew recently <laughs> went to Bobfest. Fighting Bob Fest. Fighting Bob Fest. Yes. Which is a big Scotty Nation kind of leftist rally. Although not, we all we discussed on the way back in in the Action Beetle that it was not our type of leftist. And some parts of leftists were leftist out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> kind of. That's right. Although, yes. although I tore and Victor though did get into quite an animated discussion with the 9/11 Truth Group, which I questioned. I, I kind of feel responsible for it because I made a fairly snarky, <laughs> loud remark about, and these guys are progressive. How? And then just sort of walked off, and then you guys are kind of dealing with the overflow. Well, here let's let's listen to our minute debrief live from Fighting Bob and hear what we had to say about that discussion. Well, Tor and I just managed to spend a good 15 to 20 minutes uh, debating the 9-11 truth screw loose, I mean, loose change booth about the uh, arguments they have for the conspiracy theory that we are all, uh, I think... 9-11. 9-11. learned? What have we learned from our, uh, from our discussion, Tor? Uh, the, no way the steel melted with just a plane hitting the building. Yeah. No, building number seven. Building number seven. Building number seven. What else do we Thermite, learn? thermite. They found thermite explosives. And the dogs yes. weren't allowed. Yep. And the no. BBC time traveled 20 minutes into the future to report building number seven burning down. Right, yeah. And they had... Wow. Yeah. Pulled the bomb sp- sniffing dogs two weeks before that hell happened. <laughs> yes. And the... Uh, and some guy heard explosions before anything happened. And there's no way yeah. a building could pancake free fall at the speed uh, that it did if yeah. it wasn't exploded by government yeah. agents uh, or yeah. reptiles disguised reptiles as, as government, government yeah. agents. Which I think is true. Which I'm pretty they put sure jet engines on the roof to push it down faster. So I think I will find the internet somewhere to look up the temperature at which steel melts. <laughs> well, that was pretty good. Yeah. Well, you know, they we tried... And we were not prepared, like you're usually not prepared to talk to people who are insane. Well, you know, and <laughs> yeah. they, and, and they, they had the most enormous case of uh, CD burns of like all this stuff from the internet. I mean, honest to God, mm-hmm. that was the biggest collection. I mean, loose change yeah. is just the beginning. They just kind of, oh my! And oh, I yeah. actually, I grabbed one myself, which I really enjoyed. And Tor, you took one with, didn't you? Yes, I did. I I watched the entire DVD movie that they gave me. The structural engineer guy what was his name. Yes, uh, I forgot his name. He's never built anything more than one story 
high. It's like maybe built a gymnasium or something. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. That's, you know, not a obviously, yeah. obviously but, an expert. But he's not a uh, not a building demolition uh, expert. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's not a, a metals expert. So he. He just captured a lot of facts that other people had talked about, and and selected selectedly selected facts uh, to make his case. Well, the only cases they really had at the point when we were there was yeah. steel melts at over two thousand degrees, and therefore right. the buildings would never have fallen with this impact. And well, it, it just the fact that molten steel existed right. uh, in the buildings means that. Uh, something was causing it to burn hotter. At well, least, at th- well, least, I mean, what they claim. You you have impact. You have the age of the structure. Uh, you have you know just the the sheer volume of the fuel. I mean, that was one of the reasons that they picked those targets, just because those planes right. were fully loaded right. with fuel. Well, and then you have all the different office supplies and things that actually burn inside those buildings when right. you know hit with that that fuel impact. But they talk about the structural integrity of steel and. When I researched it a little bit further, yes, yeah, steel melts at a really high degree Fahrenheit, but it loses its structural integrity at 50 to 60 percent of that heat, which would have been roughly, uh, you know, 1100 degrees. And so the fire they're estimating in there was around 1600 degrees. Right. So that's well over 60 percent the structural integrity loss that it would take for the bolts and the rivets and everything to stop actually holding the steel to mm. hold the weight of the structures above them. So well, the fact that steel wasn't melting but but failed, mm-hmm. you know, that's the failure level is 50 to 60 percent. So I, I don't now I know what to say to them next time when I talk to them about sure. about that. Okay, it didn't have to melt melt. It just had to get to a structural level it simply had of integrity to fail. Plus right. again, it's right. a 40-year-old structure, you know. Right. I mean, it, it's and it's been undergoing, you know, all that metal does fatigue. Right. And then they start talking about thermite, nanothermite and oh, these are chemical compounds that they're they're you know, it would have taken yeah. tons of thermite to do a demolition yeah, the, of that level. The, and exactly. they would have, to have shut down the building for weeks yeah. for them to implant that much. They're thermite suggesting that a, a recent elevator repair. Yeah. What is where they snuck in all the thermite charges. Well, there is no record of that elevator repair. That they claim. Uh, yeah, I didn't look into that. <laughs> yeah, it but, doesn't exist. There's no oh, shutdown of the building where Lord. no one was there where they could have put tons of thermite in the building. Yeah, yeah. Now, th- the other thing <laughs> uh, they talk about is the uh, free fall speed of the buildings collapsing. Right. And they claim that they fell at a near free fall speed. Right. And therefore, for a b- building to dr- uh, collapse that fast, all the c- columns would have had to been exploded away by mm-hmm. a controlled demolition. Uh, so there's nothing resisting the fall. However, it's pretty clear that the buildings didn't fall exactly free fall speed. No. They, they did fall slower. And what they failed to really demonstrate in the DVD is w- whether or not that difference can account for columns slowing it down. Right. Or is it still falling fast enough uh, where the columns would have had to been blown away? And... Well, that's the problem because, uh, you know, they say near free fall from the top of the tower. And I've actually been to the top of the World Trade Center and looked oh, down. Oh, really? It is a crazy view or I was. Bet it, I bet it's yeah. beautiful now. Well, it would be even more spectacular when they build the Freedom Tower. <laughs> the Freedom Tower. Yeah. But uh, from that height, it would have been nine seconds or so for it to have free fall to the bottom. And the clouds of debris and the chaos 
on some of the video cameras, you can see that the first tower took about 11 to 12 seconds, but then right. the video gets blurred. You can't really see what's going on. And then the other one took some 22 seconds to actually free fall or fall to the bottom. Right. And so... And I think you can see some of the debris is falling faster than the building itself. Yeah, you can actually so, see that while so, it's happening. Yeah, well, it's and definitely, by debris we mean horrible deaths of actual people. Well, right. yeah, and paper and you know parts of metal and, and that's rock. What, that's you know. what really truly offends me is that you have thousands of humans that were killed in this attack, and it's become on the left this. Oh well, they get a table at our at our festival. They, they don't because deserve, they're kind of anti-government. It's like, well, yeah, they yeah. don't deserve a table. Would yeah. the JFK assassination <laughs> it, people have one there too? Exactly, then, or exactly. The UFO people because they, now, you know the right, government's yeah, covering yeah. all that. Now their other yeah. their other thing. The only other thing they could tell me at the table was that building number seven was detonated, and that's being shown to be totally false. What they said was, well, they said pull, which meant explode building number seven. It had no damage. Well, building number seven had a lot of damage on the upper stories, and it was burning. And they thought that, well, this isn't worth salvaging. We're going to pull all our people out of building number seven, and then we will let it go down as it goes down. They actually said pull on a cable to pull down building number six. And so this terminology of pull, meaning pull the building down, and pull, meaning pull the people out of the building. We don't want anyone in there. It's just terminology. And, And I... Arguing yeah. with them, I will continue to do. If we go back to Fighting Bob Fest, I will, I will rediscuss the issues and see what the new issues are yeah, from if, the so-called uh, researchers. We'll wear our Nixon masks next time. <laughs> well, it's yeah. true. That's true. We have a whole plan. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the DVD was from an organization called something on the line of Architects, Architects for Truth or something, oh, yeah. blah, 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 like that. Uh and and it seems their motivation is they're using this as an excuse to uh, essentially say the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq were wrong. Well, you can probably figure out other reasons to say the same thing. And right. also that then at the end of the DVD, they they do suggest you send in money to help their cause. Gosh. Oh, so yeah, it it may be just a little capitalist enterprise. Well, that's know. the thing is I yeah. do believe yeah. that George Bush is a complete moron. And, right. you know, that might might show my political views in some way. Oh, yeah. but that doesn't mean I have to support other morons, you know, in no. their uh, yeah. their unwillingness to accept research and facts. So right. there is a website that I looked at. Uh, I loved called uh, www.debunking911.com. That's a great website for anyone who's skeptical of this movement to go go check out some research. There's some links you can you can go delve further if you're an Alex Jones type and think we're totally wrong i appreciate your sentiment but i really would wish you would look further because i don't i don't buy the plot no i i I did enjoy fighting bob fest and there were other points of it but boy that that 15 minutes really boiled my blood (laughs) yeah yeah victor got pretty hot and bothered after that one you know i I, I was just you know talking to more for the entertainment we had to go get some mini tacos and cheese curds after that we did which we did (laughs) but um I, I again, I just question. Well, so if you think that the government is involved in some sort of cover up or conspiracy, you get a table at this festival. I mean, the right has many groups which mm-hmm. eschew any kind of secularism or anything. So, I mean, should they have tables there? I, right. I don't. Right. No, I don't. 
think so. I mean, not to say that she she they should necessarily be excluded, but it's just that they're there. No, every they should be year. excluded. Yeah, okay, you're right. <laughs> they should be excluded. Speaking of George Bush, though, I my but first is this: I I watch the Emmys, which I I generally don't because. I don't I don't really watch a lot of series TV and I, I pretty much just watch movies or documentaries or whatever, which I know is a very Madisonian thing to say. It's like, oh, you know, I was I was reading my volumes of Proust and I, I <laughs> leaned forward and I tripped and my head hit the on button on my TV and I ended up watching 48 hours of the Beverly Hillbillies How by complete accident. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Think of it is that, that that those are generally my viewing habits. I was and... chagrined by their antics. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you like about the Emmys? I was most perplexed. <laughs> well, I, Neil Patrick Harris was oh. was hosting it, so I thought oh, Doogie Hauser, and I thought Cat- I loved him in the Harold and Kumar movies. Doctor and... Horrible, <laughs> Doctor Horrible, exactly. So I thought, and and he was really good. But there were certain elements to it that I just could not stand. Like, for instance, The Daily Show mm-hmm. got these awards, and I think that they, they got them almost automatically. And I really think that The Colbert Show has superseded The Daily Show in that the Bush administration really made The Daily Show. Right. I mean, it... it because infotainment was at such a high screech during that period of time and getting any kind of real news analysis, even from a fake news show, mm-hmm. was much appreciated. Plus, I mean, they were perfect foils for one another. But the Colbert show, like I say, to me is more entertaining, has more interesting guests, and the whole shtick that he keeps doing now because the right is so disorganized and, and just like looking it's over for some the kind top of right now. Yeah, right. exactly. I mean, he's just it like allows built and him. Built and built. Yeah, it allows him to really go off. Now, don't get me wrong. There's times when The Daily Show is interesting just because they're like the soup. You know, they condense all of this stuff that, you know, on Fox and everything else and show just how skewed they really are. But that's it. They're like a, this one-trick pony that just keeps going. And and I'm sorry to say, I don't really think The Daily Show, in many ways, I think it's really lost its direction. Well, you know, it has shifted writers. Right. The writers always move and the uh, the characters move. So, I mean, there's a lot of shifting going on. Uh, right. But... And, and that's fine. But, I mean, it just it's just like, oh, and The Daily Show, because they're just so cutting edge and so out there. And it just seemed kind of stale this time. But the one that really pissed me off was... They, I, I forget what the category even was, but essentially the um, Colbert Christmas special what went up against the Hugh Jackman musical number. Did it lose? For the, Yes. Oh, that's too bad. For the Oscar intro. Now, I, Hugh Jackman's fine. It was, I, you know, respected him getting out there and just doing the old song and dance and but everything. But that Christmas special was Oh, something my God. Special. That was fucking it. it and I'm it really sorry. nailed all Christmas <sighs> specials to the wall. I kept that on my DVR mm-hmm. and it's it's going to be watched every well I mean I might as well just buy the DVD right. because it's right. it's just so good. It is brilliant. But I mean giving an award show giving an award to another award show. I mean talk about putting your lips on your own asshole. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just show oh, you got to be kidding me. But anyhow <laughs> that's uh and and that's my beef for this week and uh <laughs> also we went to the packer game 
We did. We took yes. a tank ride field trip. Not the Cincinnati game. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Oh, oh, no. We only go to Packer games where the Packers well, win. The difference That's is right. the Cincinnati game did not have Tank Riot's fan support. That's true. Yes. We, we were not in the stands we cheering. We were not there. The entire Tank Riot, yeah. Riot crew was there, including our uh, eight-year-old Viking Princess movie reviewer. Yes, she yes. was there, and she totally had a great time. She was oh. a lucky charm. Yep. It's a so. season opener against the Chicago Bears in the Lambeau Bears. Field. The Bears. How can you go better than beating the Bears? <laughs> yeah. And there was a lot of Bears fans there, and they were a hoot. It was a fun time. You know, yep. everyone had a good time, except the Bears fans. The Bears were a little they upset. They were a little upset. Uh, there was yep. one guy that we kind of get a wide berth around on the way. Out of the stadium. Yeah, some, you know, some of some, some of them, of them took it better than others. A little too much refreshment, <laughs> and uh, that can happen yeah, at uh, Lambo. Uh-huh. <laughs> beautiful field, beautiful stadium. A lot, a lot of fun to go to that show. That's right. It was yeah. a show. <laughs> oh, uh, I have to say this too. I so I've been noticing that essentially you can put anything into a basic cable series as long as you put Quest. At the end of the name. Mm-hmm. So you can have Monster Quest. Mm-hmm. Now the new one is Mystery Quest. So Sounds I, like a Fortean show. It was kind of Fortean <laughs> in a certain way because the, the one I watched this morning was, did Hitler survive the bunker? Of course he did, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, by the end of it, they were starting to act like... Well, geez, that that almost seems plausible. <laughs> you know, forget the fact that the man was like a raging drug addict with Parkinson's and couldn't get anywhere. But actually, and I'm sure he's so, still alive today. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it, that's it's right. it's somebody else's skull that the uh, Russians have in a box in a warehouse. Essentially, that's yeah. what it is. Is uh-huh. that that the 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 piece of skull with the bullet hole that's burnt is not the correct skull. Mm. But I mean, yeah. I think that we can. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it, uh, whatever. You know, I have a really short but first. Oh. I, uh, I saw a prequel to Watchmen. I thought I was done talking about Watchmen. But just really? yesterday. <laughs> just cool? Yeah, just yesterday I watched the Todd Fields film, Little Children. Oh. Have you seen that film? <laughs> no. Oh, oh it's, a, it's a terribly depressing, just like, I forget who directed it, but Happiness, just like one of those swimming with sharks movies. That's just, oh. it's just really depressing. But it's about a suburban um, area where a sex offender moves into the neighborhood, right. played by Jack Earl Haley. And oh. there is a uh, husband and wife with a boy. The husband is Patrick Wilson, and the wife <laughs> is Jennifer Connolly. Wow. And then another family where the wife is Kate Winslet. Shouldn't we say Jennifer Connelly and her eyebrows? And her eyebrows. And because I think they're almost two separate entities. <laughs> they almost are. She's she's fantastic. But so Yes, but but I would say one thing to Jennifer <laughs> if I met her. It's like I, you know, I love your body of work, I love your body. But for the love of God, pluck. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. Victor you digress. <laughs> Well, so Patrick Wilson is a stay-at-home dad, and Kate Winslet is a stay-at-home mom, and they end up at the playground together having kind of an affair, mm-hmm. and Jackie Earl Haley is a pedophile who's trying to get closer to children. It is a crazy film. All right. You really aren't sure where it's going. So but really, it has nothing to do with The watch. Absolutely right? nothing to okay. do, except oh. for Rorschach and Night Owl. <laughs> Okay. It's, okay. Yeah, you've got the two actors, wow. and that's, that they obviously were seen in this movie when they were recruited for right. their Watchmen roles. And I just thought, when I first saw Jackie Earl Haley, I'm like, oh my 
God, that's Rorschach. So, awesome. So, so what year did this come out? Uh, this was, I think, 2006, I'm oh, thinking. Not that long ago. No, no. I just DVR'd it and thought, I, I'll check this out. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't mean to talk about an old movie. I just, you know, it's sometimes I watch these movies no, that are just highly depressing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you get to the end of it and you're like, oh, my life is so much better. <laughs> Well, you know, speaking of that, I I would I watched a movie. Well, two things. One is um, I saw a news story about an accident on the set of the Green Hornet movie, and of course I'm like, excuse me, baking powder? You know, not the Green Hornet from 1966 with mm. that fabulous Chrysler, the Black Beauty. Yeah, they're doing. They, it got green lighted. Seth Rogen is in it. Now, I don't know in what capacity, but hmm. they got a new Black Beauty and... Playing the Green Hornet. <laughs> I, I don't know. But I'll just say this. I recently uh, rented Observe and Report. Mm-hmm. You know, he plays a mall cop. And I began to think it was sort of like the the deal with uh, Failsafe and Dr. Strangelove. Two movies, similar concept, come out within six months of one another. Right. One is absolutely forgotten. The other one becomes a classic. Have you seen Paul Blart Mall Cop? I have seen Paul Blart Mall I Cop. I like that. I liked it too. And the eight-year-old Viking princess loved it. Oh, I love it. What did we say when he was putting peanut butter Who's on, to his, judge the taste? on his pie or something? He said, oh yeah, peanut butter. <laughs> it, it heals the cracks in your heart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really, yeah, I can't condone this, the Paul Blart, but I loved it. It you was know? funny. It was like Die Hard in a mall. Yeah, it was. But, yeah. It was actually, I thought, a <laughs> the good movie. Highly overweight Bruce Willis. But it had all these funny people, you know, Seth Rogen. It was one of these movies where you look at it, it was kind of like Strange Wilderness. Mm-hmm. You look at it and you think, ooh, here's a list of people. Uh, this should be really funny. No. Oh my God, it was awful. It was like one of those where I wanted to go back and ask for my rental money back. I've heard it's hmm. awfully dark and people weren't like ready. No, for it help. wasn't dark. Like it was taxi was driver almost. No, like, it was. Like he it, was very. Okay. No, it, it was just. Well, I'm glad I've it avoided just blew. it. I'm glad I've avoided what, what it. What was the name of that movie? Observe and Report. Yeah. Okay. So Observe and report gonna, and say no, plus don't Seth go. Seth Rogen. Right? I mean, it's yeah. like, how are you going to do the Green Hornet? I mean, yeah. Well, you know, it's probably a victim of bad editing. B- yeah. Back back to the green theme. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is going to be uh, Green Lantern, and I'm excited about that. I that think would that's be really be cool. A good role for him. Good role for him. Yeah, I I have to admit, you know, before they did the whole thing with uh, the Green Lantern as the ultra conservative and the Green Arrow as the ultra leftist <laughs> together in the 70s. Yeah, they're both green, but my two dads but different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they dress alike. They talk alike. <laughs> but. Be ambiguously I, green. <laughs> I did. I did really like the Green Hornet when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I just thought. I just thought the whole concept of okay, you got this ring, you got to charge it up every twenty four hours, and you got to do the little rhyme. It's uh, like my iPhone. You know, <laughs> here I said a broken hearted. No, no, that's not the rhyme. Yeah. Well, hey, as long as you guys are talking about uh, movies and uh, butt firsts and uh, and Gold. stuff like that. I came home from work today, and my four-year-old daughter was as happy as happy can be because she had just acquired a poster for the movie uh, coming out December 11th in in theaters near you uh, called The Princess and the Frog. And in that movie... The Walt Disney Company is going to introduce a new princess, which is awesome if you're a four-year-old girl. 
And, uh, so, Tor, are you a four-year-old girl? No, I'm not. <laughs> you but don't I, find I, that awesome? I live with a four-year-old girl at home, and it's fun to see someone that happy. Yeah, I, mean, you yeah. don't I hope see it's that. a new princess with wide commercial appeal. I, I, uh, I think it is. <laughs> and lots of tie-ins. I've seen, that, yeah. I've seen the preview enough times for that one. Yeah, it, it takes place in the bayou. They're they're getting that New Orleans kind of thing. Yeah, into it. they're getting the voodoo thing into Princess it. Princess Teriana, so, I think. Yeah, they're taking a new tack with it. I I'm gonna have to just take it take it easy before I condemn it. Because yeah. when I first heard, it, I was like, Ugh. you know what the right. next Tank Riot uh, project movie should be is Zombieland. Oh, Woody definitely, Har- definitely. Woody, Woody Harrelson. Talking yeah. about great movies on the horizon, that but, one. Yeah. Looks just like just fantastic. to finish upon the the Princess and oh, the Frog. I'm sorry, Tor. Uh, my daughter is has to be the joy of Madison Avenue because she was dancing on this poster which she had laid out on the floor and she said, you know, she's like, gonna see the movie. I'm gonna get the doll and the makeup and the book. And the- <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and the everything. You know, you're watching just, the whole marketing campaign yeah, yeah, unfold. Yeah, yeah. She's unfolding it's just the like meaning. A oh. few TV commercials and a poster, and she is sold. She will spend all my money and get all of everything to do with this movie. And, uh, well, whatever, that's okay if she's And five happy, years but... later, it'll all be at a yard sale. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, can I give you a quarter for this? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah, marketing works. And uh, pretty soon I'm going to have to teach her what's happening, that uh, they're tricking you into buying this. But, yeah. but stay in school, kids. But no leftist yeah. programming. <laughs> yeah. But be, yeah. I, my son did get to watch Barack Obama on the computer. They... Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so, but he didn't remember what he said. <laughs> <laughs> I hear he's black. Yeah. He, he was, he was a little hard to understand for a first grader. He must have used those big words and a <laughs> well, lot, he's at lot the of UN uh, recently. Yeah, a lot of random pauses. Like, I'm you sure. really got to keep it monosyllabic when you're addressing <gasps> oh, the UN. Yeah, what well, was good was. <laughs> Um, the Iranian president, and of course, I'm a dinner jacket. Uh, Muammar, uh-huh. <laughs> Muammar Gaddafi, <laughs> wearing that sort of after dinner funk. That only. <laughs> well, it's just funny that we, you know, we talked about the Holocaust in a recent episode, and there they are denying uh, the Holocaust in exactly. front of the UN, and then Netanyahu gets up the next day and has to say, you "No, know, what happened? This is just pathetic." I, I know. I am... You know, we have the resources to solve the world problems. <laughs> yeah. We got Barack Obama at visiting the UN, right? You just get right. you get the Miller High Life guy, you know, from the Miller High Life TV commercials, right. <laughs> and, and you have him pass around beer to everyone at the at all the world leaders, and let's just talk about our issues over a beer. Who's the football you know? guy in the commercials who tackled everybody? Oh Terry, yeah, that uh, was perfect. Something. Like it would have been nice if Amadina Jacket was up there and he would have just been tackled. You oh, know, God. Yeah, bitch, you can't bring that weak ass in up in this motherfucker. You know that shit, baby? Triple T up in this bitch! Listening to his bile was really hard <laughs> oh, to take. Rough. I mean, Gaddafi, you could say, look, you know, the, the stitching on that marble bag came loose a long time ago. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, whatever. But there's but... a level of conspiracy theory that's obnoxious and wrong and needs to end. Yeah. Now, there's another level of conspiracy theory that's fun where it began, and that's... Charles Hoy. Charles. Ford. That's Ford. right. <laughs> Charles Ford. Let's in get a lot the of train ways, back on the track. Yeah. Here. <laughs> I'm saying, does this show have a topic? But last. <laughs> but last. <laughs> Charles Hoy Ford. <laughs>
What are we fucking cream? We're just gonna riff all goddamn day till people finally just go home out of disgust. Cream rocks. The drugs wear off. And the cream show's over. Hey, wait, I got this riff. It's getting near done. I got nothing else. You guys fill in the rest. Behind the music. Anyways, um, Charles Ford, in in many ways, I think is is kind of the father of many of uh, the grandfather of many of our tank ride episodes right uh, yeah urban legend uh conspiracy theory cryptozoology and, and, oh, cryptozoology exactly ufos well, have we done ufos yet <laughs> oh please <laughs> well here and there <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think I and think, our reptilian overlords from I, space i'm <laughs> waiting looking forward to the vtv series coming up the remake oh i'm very excited about that plus i'm waiting for the new season of ufo hunters uh my belly button has been puckering and unpuckering <laughs> in anticipation of that wow but, well this this came this actually came as a suggestion from Longtime listener, friend of the show. First time caller. <laughs> Cinema Suicide Brian suggested we actually talk about Charles Hoy Fort. Yes. So Charles Fort was uh, born in 1874. He was a writer and essentially just did anomalous phenomena or things that cannot be explained, the weird and the bizarre. Yeah, but his background, you know, leading into that, he is the oldest of three boys. Yes. And his youngest uh, brother, there's uh, there's Charles, there's Raymond, and then there's Clarence. And right. Clarence is like seven years younger than, than Charles. And Charles was the firstborn of a grocer. <laughs> and right. uh, Charles Nelson Fort. And Charles Nelson was all business. And his kids were going to take over the business. They're going right. to they're gonna be big grocery men in the in the Albany area and uh his wife died shortly after the third son was born which was not uncommon in that period right and and she she got uh, yeah she fell ill and and died months after the third child was born and so he raised the boys as an only father and then eventually remarried when Charles was around you know 11 years old he was a very disciplinarian Yes. And he had a very strict upbringing, and none of these boys could really handle it at all. And the the second wife was taken into the family um, only because she would buy them stuff and treat them well. And, you know, the boys were very kind of spoiled with her, and uh, none of them wanted to be the next line in the grocery man chain. No, I mean, cause, and that was very much expected, too, is mm-hmm. that they, they would all work in the family business for their entire lives and instead they just decided to go their own way charles i think probably the farthest his own way so uh, of the childhood of charles fort not a lot of records exist except for a book he wrote when he was in his 20s called many parts right and oh, and I, I think we should say, Victor, right now that that Charles Fort's writings are not easy to. I mean, honestly, uh, he probably would have fit right into Tank Riot. It's 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 pretty free association. <laughs> I'd say obtuse. I'd yeah. say highly <laughs> obtuse. More Maybe, on that later when he when he really gets into the stuff. Yeah, we should do a seance some show and try to. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, try to get the spirit of Charles Fort to uh, I, I, come I think, through. I think it could yeah. be said with with all seriousness uh, and professionalism that Charles Ford sidebarred like a motherfucker. He did. He did. But first, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> no way. You know, there were red meat storms in China. <laughs> it did rain frogs the other day here yeah. in Madison. Um, many parts was crazy because he referred to himself as the royal we. Yeah. He referred to Raymond as uh, the other kid. And he referred to Clarence as the little kid. And he referred to his, his parents or father as they. They beat us about the face and they beat us till we bled and we mm. let our blood flow from our nose. And it was just a strange style. Um, so you, you're obviously seeing it through a kaleidoscope of what he, as a dramatic 19, 20 year old, was writing about his childhood. Right. But it was very Harry Potter esque. Right. Because, and I have to say Harry Potter that way. Harry Potter. <laughs> Because uh, it wasn't like under the staircase, Harry Potter, but he talked about living in an air shaft and about being punished. It was like solitary confinement. They would be trapped in a room and whichever one of the three boys wasn't locked in the room would lower down items to help the other boys like food or a wrench to turn on the gas light and uh, matches to light the gas light and all this crazy stuff. It and moisturizes its hands. I, I know. <laughs> it well, puts the lotions on its hands or else it gets the hose again. I think, though, in the 19th century, I mean, th this kind of, you know, outright child abuse <sighs> was, was very, very common. Well, you can see where Charles Fort gets his dislike of authority yes. right there. And that's why I wanted to mention just a little bit about his, ch his childhood. The younger boy, uh, Clarence, goes off at, at the age of 10. Uh, to a boarding school, the youngest age that any boy will be taken is 10. And right. he goes off and pretty much uh, Charles, you know, sees him at the age of 17 once. He goes and visits him at the boarding school right. and that's it. And I don't know if he ever really sees him again. There's not a lot of records. And then he and Raymond are the only ones left in the household. And at the young age of about 17, he ends up in a giant fight with his parents and he can't stand the brutality of his father anymore. Comes home late one night and just takes a rock and breaks the door open because they won't let him in the house because he's come home late and lets himself in and they make him sleep with the servants. And obviously he's rich. They have servants and everything. And uh, he eventually moves in with his uh, grandfather and uncle mm -hmm. and totally disdains his father and that's they had they had a terrible breaking off point because everything that had been bubbling over had finally oh yeah I mean, gone you, you and and i and i think that that um his disdain of authority i mean charles ford in many ways is a true intellectual anarchist mm -hmm. to me because well, he, he dropped out of high school yeah and so therefore he he, he didn't learn basic science no. And at the time, who knows what basic science really would have represented to him? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. what does what does it mean now? Hey, hey, <laughs> well, let's let's put this in context. In Kansas, at the time, say. you had Marconi and Tesla trying to work on radio waves, and we did our big Tesla show. But Marconi was thinking he was hearing radio signals from Mars. Right. So it was actually a bounce back. So we talked about that a little bit, I believe, in an old episode. But so Marconi was saying that the Martians are trying to talk to us. 
Mars is alive with people. And then mm -hmm. we have documented canals on Mars. So imagine yeah. living at a time when people are saying, yeah, there's another culture on Mars. Right. And and that's yeah. an exciting time to be living when, oh, there's oh, canals, yeah. there's which, people. Which turned out to be an optical illusion, actually. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> there really were no canals. But... I know. So, so then you've got science making leaps and bounds and stepping back right. and moving forward. And just like science does with the scientific method, which this intellectual anarchist Charles Fort would take to task, mm -hmm. uh, they were wrong. <laughs> that's right. But, and I think right. that that's the, that's uh, one of the central points of Charles Fort is that he may not have had the best grasp of the scientific, scientific principle mm -hmm. and reasoning and logic. But what I think he really contributed was the fact that he, you, you cannot, just become so dogmatic in your beliefs. You you have to be fluid. You have to be able to say, oh, you know what? I was completely wrong in this. And and in fact, I I think that there you could you could say that Charles Fort in a lot of ways really did not have a real grasp of of the scientific method. But at that period of time when Charles Fort was doing a lot of these writings, there was many aspects of the scientific community that that were very much belief held. Right. Like, for instance, in, yeah. in, in anthropology at that period of time, one of the aspects that seemed to offend people the most, including these scientists, was that, well, we're finding all this fossil evidence of early men in Africa. Hmm. Battlestar Galactica? Does that mean... <laughs> God, you really had to bring that up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Okay, fine. <laughs> hey, have we done a Star Wars reference yet? Have we done our Seinfeld Superman? <laughs> no, no. I'll work on that. Okay, fine. <laughs> In any case, what offended people the most, well, offended, they tried to work science in a certain way that, well, this seems to imply that perhaps our ancestors weren't, hmm, white. <gasps> so I'm going to go over to the Gobi Desert because... And look for fossils there of early man because they're closer to white, or you know there there were a lot of aspects of science that that were dogmatic, that were belief held or prejudice yeah. bound, mm -hmm. and and I think that what he did was was kind of undermine that and say, look, no, sometimes it does rain frogs, sometimes you, there are red meat storms or whatever. In yeah, other words. Yeah. Just think about it. <laughs> right. But if you, if you go back, he didn't start writing that stuff until much later because mm -hmm. he, he worked at newspapers. And actually, he wrote a lot of really short stories yes. and did a lot of really little humorous stories. And this is where everyone says, oh, he is a humorist of the first degree. <laughs> yeah. He was kind of like, oh, okay. Henry. Yeah. He's okay. He, he would throw uh -huh. in these little twists at the end um, of his little humorous articles. He would send them to newspapers all, all around and, and get rejected all the time. But every now and then someone would accept a story by him. Mm -hmm. And he'd get paid a little bit. But he also had a, a building that was in the family that he was getting a $25 stipend for when he was 17, 18. Right. And, and so he'd get this $25 and he decided, you know what? I need to go. I need to go explore the world. I need to go see what's out there. And he instructed his family then, after he dropped out of high school, 
send my $25 check to this place on this date, then this place on this date, then this mm-hmm. place on that date, and I will try to get it at that point. So it was like a race to him. It was like an experiment, and he just said, I don't know enough about this world. I need to go out there and see the world and figure out what's out there. Right. And he went on this giant adventure as a 20-year-old guy or whatever and mm-hmm. and went down south and toured the country by rail Almost got arrested on several times for like tramping because you're not allowed to be a hobo and you would 10 days on a chain (laughs) gang if you get caught for that. Being a northerner. I believe I believe the the remark he made about it was put some capital in the bank of experience. (laughs) Right. Yes. And you gotta love him for that. Yeah, oh yeah. Because he's understanding that, you know, there's a world out there and I need to see it. But then he decided not to write anything down. He's like, No, I'm not gonna keep records of this. I'm just gonna do it. But then he, Which is in marked contrast to his later life. <laughs> totally, totally. But but you can tell he was kind of lying because he kept track very diligently of how many yeah. miles he'd gone. Mm-hmm. So he would he would write to people and talk about how I, I'm at the 1,400 mile mark now. So you knew he was keeping track of stuff. But he was he was taking all the characters he was meeting and throwing them into a hodgepodge to become a great novelist. And then. And then somehow he was planning to spew this out as a giant novel and it'll all make sense later. Right. It's kind of like I think every American should, after high school, backpack through Europe. I, I hate to sound- throw the American werewolf in London on on London. But, you know, I think, I think <laughs> yeah. Americans need to get the hell out of America when they graduate from high school for a year and right. just go experience life, go experience the world, go do something. And then go to college. It sounds right. like uh, something like uh, Hunter S. Thompson would have done, in a way. Yeah, that's true. Although Hunter S. Thompson was not a huge traveler. I mean, right. he you know went down to he, the... he went to places, but so not exactly like Hunter S. Thompson. No, but, but, but uh, yeah, exp- I know what you're saying. Going to things and experiencing them mm-hmm. firsthand, which is which is a great idea. I mean, myself, I I spent a certain period of time in a in a small town, and it's it's very claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. In that you you begin to think that your entire universe is just these few miles, and it it really warps the way you see the world. Yeah, you know. In fact, the world becomes that, and <laughs> right. that's not a good thing. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. Well, he eventually ended up in Brooklyn and started working yeah. for the newspapers more at the bigger newspapers and started to make mm-hmm. a name for himself as like a newspaperman. Right, and and that's that's really when he started to meet people in the newspaper field, like Theodore Dreiser, uh, that got him involved in the mm-hmm. idea of you know what you need to write a novel. Yes, you need to be spending your time noveling, and that will get you the big money. And he lived in poverty for a long time. Oh, at 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 one point. Well, we should say too that. Uh... On one of his travels to uh, South Africa, he... That's right. So <laughs> so on, on his travels, he ended up in England, and then in England, he was supposed to buy a fare to South America, mm-hmm. but when he got there, they had got him a ticket to South Africa, right. and he's like, oh, no matter. It's South. I will go to South Africa uh, then. I'm putting capital <laughs> in the bank of experience, goddammit. That's right. So he goes to <laughs> South Africa. I just love that. It's like, who cares? I'm going somewhere. <laughs> if it's well, Tuesday, it must be Belgium. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently there was more malaria in yeah. South Africa. A fair amount. <laughs> and uh, he, yeah, he ended up coming back with a case of probable malaria. 
that, yeah. that he ended up having to recuperate from. Where he uh, married Anna. Anna Filing. Yes. Anna Filing. And she was a servant of the family from before. Right. Yeah. But, clearly but not... she helped him recover. Right, but yeah. clearly didn't make the parents that happy. No, I mean, you know, if dad was pissed uh-huh. off before shitting yeah. where you eat and marrying the servants was not... Uh... God, and an Irish servant, no less. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> Not the Irish. <laughs> Have we drank enough to start using Irish accents yet? <laughs> okay, not yet. Soon, but not quite yet. Well, I'll give it a try. <laughs> That's a fine sack of potatoes you have, Pot. Anyways... <laughs> So he marries uh, Anna, the the house servant, and she's much older than he. Yes, but but they fit. She she's never read. She doesn't read. She's not into his reading. And later on, she talks about you know really never reading his work. But and she was very social. She knew right right all the business of all her neighbors, and she liked movies. Yes, and dragged him to the movies. Dragged him to the movies. Where Charles Ford? Charles Ford is 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 one of these type of people that when you read about how he interacted with people, he almost sounds to me like a manic depressive. Or Asperger's a little bit, you know? Yeah. Just, he's just on the outside. He's on the edge of, of the society a bit. And he wasn't bullied so much because he actually was big. And the few times where it was going to happen, he would just punch people in the face. And that was the end of it. If you look at a picture of Charles Fort, he looks a lot like Teddy Roosevelt. And I, and I don't know if that's because he, he kind of really looked era. like Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt, or that's just the way men looked well, at that period of time. Well, we got to talk about Theodore Dreiser. Yeah. Theodore Dreiser really was the guy who was a publisher who got him published for his mm-hmm. very first book, The Book of the Damned. And, Theodore Dreiser was a giant hero worship uh, character. He loved what Fort was doing. Mm -hmm. And when they met uh, a little bit later, what I really wanted to get to is that Fort is so shy and so unable to deal with regular conversation and conversational style that he reminded Dreiser of uh, Oliver Hardy. Mm -hmm. And he, he... would use mannerisms and be able to talk, but he'd be fumbling with his tie in right. a very nervous way. And just, I, I thought that Oliver Hardy reference just really kind of fit any of the photos that I've seen of Charles Ford. For listeners life. who are not getting the Oliver Hardy reference, it's Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> Mark's brothers, W.C. Fields. If you don't know anything about them, get the movies now. Yeah, I, I do believe the Marx Brothers. Well, there's Buster Keaton, W.C. Fields. Oh, yeah. Charlie Chaplin. I mean, Charlie Chaplin. There, there's a lot of great work that happened in the silent era. I didn't know Oliver Hardy's dad was a Confederate fighter, too, who was yes. wounded. Isn't in that amazing? Major battle, yeah. But uh, so <laughs> they, they met. Um, Dreiser was a bit of a womanizer and had gone through many, many, many affairs in his life. And some of his books were very risque. His first book was Sister Carrie. He was a well-known author at the time, and he was a little bit rejected by the uptight literary society, and the publishers mm-hmm. didn't want to publish or work with him because of his risque style. Uh, but he was a major proponent of uh, Charles Fort. So Charles Fort was working on several books, 
And this is when he started to start researching in the libraries of New York. And uh, he wrote X and he wrote Y. <laughs> and this is the X Files. <laughs> <laughs> so he wrote X and Y. And these were kind of Jules Verne type epics. They were about something rather than just a detailed list of phenomenon. Right. He was suggesting phenomenon and ideas. And X was his idea about Martians. And the other one was an idea about life at the poles at Mm -hmm. uh, Antarctica, which we've all read in Marvel comics exists. Well, that, that, that actually was yeah. um, kind of a hot little subcultural item at that period of time, like the, the Thule Society and mm-hmm. so forth, which, you know, played in big with uh, the Nazis and the pre-Nazis, mm-hmm. which seemed mm-hmm. to have been there almost all the time. <laughs> right, but the, these books were, they, they were more designed as a strategy to explain why, you know, the Martians are there and why there's life on Mars. and. We don't know exactly what was written in them because they were destroyed eventually later on in in fits of depression. And we can get to that in a bit. But then he wrote Z, which became his work that was the combined story of a lot of the things he was finding in the museums. Mm -hmm. Well, he actually got the Outcast Manufacturers published in 1909, and that was like a tenement story, which was a novel of the tenements. And it was X and Y that really got Dreiser working for him to get the Book of the Dam published. Mm -hmm. And this was one of those exactly like our Ayn Rand story where Dreiser said, I will quit if you don't publish this. Right. (laughs) (laughs) He must have been throwing these hissy fits every other week. (laughs) So so then uh, the Book of the Dam got published. And... Uh, that was 1919, showed up late around Christmas, and was a mild success. So that, that gave him the money to keep going. But have you read the Book of the Damned? Yes, I have. Because this is seriously where I think, and H.L. Mencken was a friend of, uh, when they got in the publishing business of Dreiser, and he knew of Charles Fort, mm-hmm. totally disapproved of what Fort was doing. And I just found it completely obtuse. It's very hard to read. Hard to, hard to fathom where it's going. Hard to fathom why it's written. Hard to understand what connects to what. Well, that's it's kind of like uh, the the cult of the subgenius. I mean, there's there's things there, and you can pull parts out of it, you know, but. Uh, yeah, but at least with flow, the not so at much. least with the cult of the subgenius, you know that there's a point there. Yes, and with this, no one knew exactly what Fort was going for. It, it seemed like a bit of bad newspaper work, mm-hmm. where where he would string long strings of things together, and all of a sudden he'd be talking about, well, you've never hypnotized a hippopotamus and asked them what they think, and <laughs> what about Mount Vesuvius? <laughs> And you're just thinking, really? You're, you're going to talk for chapters about why science is wrong, and then all of a sudden you're going to talk about hypnotizing hippopotamuses. It's like Mark Twain, you know. You, <laughs> you try to teach a cat to sing, you're just going to waste your time and piss off the cat. I'm paraphrasing, of course. 
Yeah, but Mark Twain <laughs> is Mark Twain. That's Charles right. Ford. You know, H.L. Macon, we talked about H.L. Macon describing uh, Harding as a president and his speeches as being like, I don't know. I have the quote here. It's the the tattered washing on the line reminds him of stale bean soup of college yells, dogs barking idiotically through endless nights. You know, so bad that a sort of grandeur creeps into it. That same quote could be applied to Charles Fort. Oh, absolutely. I mean, his ideas were so rambling and so insane in the beginning, and they get better over time, you know, in his later works. He he sparked a whole movement. It did. I mean, again, it's sort of like uh, Ayn Rand in that it's not so much the person themselves or their particular <laughs> philosophy. It's just like what they inspire. I'm drawing way too many parallels to this Ayn Rand episode. I know. We just have to stop it All right. right now. All right. To give an example. <laughs> uh, so to sum up, Charles Fort was one of these people that began as a journalist mm-hmm. and then was encouraged to become a novelist and then really kind of embarked on a career of collecting stories of the weird and bizarre and then you, of course, you you would immediately think of uh, Ripley, you know, of Ripley's Believe It or Not. But that's that's not really what Fort was about because this all had a purpose. Whereas with Ripley, it was more kind of a sideshow. Well, you know, Ripley was a failed baseball player that oh, wanted to become, yeah. you know, use his cartooning work. But I got to say, you know, Robert Ripley would be nothing if it weren't for Norbert Perlroth. Mm-hmm. Because Norbert Perlroth did research day in, day out until he died. And he died right. much after Ripley right. and did all this work. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying Ripley is, is great in any way. I'm just saying that the research done was not done by Ripley. But all these people, exactly. But all <laughs> these people existed long before the interweb. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so, I mean, you had to really physically dig for this shit. <laughs> right, right. They had to go yeah. to libraries. They had to research. And, and Pearl Roth would, would go to the library close and then go sum up conclusions at the end of it. And I think he's a really interesting character, way more than I think Robert Ripley's an interesting character. Right. He's like a figurehead who's in charge of this dynasty that, and he didn't even... Pearl Roth didn't even get anything in the will other than like $5,000 from well, Robert Ripley when Ripley actually died. The thing about Ripley was, is to me, was always that he was like a punchline. You know, like you, you don't you don't know the rest of the joke, but you got the punchline. Well, yeah, he would. You know, he well, would, I can get it $10 cheaper in town or, you know, I mean, you just make up the joke based on the punchline. So when he would do things, he would say, you know, here's a twist on... This right. thing that you think you know, and then they would. There was a gleam of Zanzibar that was poisoned by a pair of slippers. Believe <laughs> it, blow me or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. Well, here's an example of of the way you know Charles Fort would would collect these stories. And remember, you know, he was a journalist. You know, mm-hmm. who, what, where, when, why? No, not so much. Uh, so he gets a story about. A talking dog who disappears into a puff of green smoke. He expresses his doubt that the dog really went up in green smoke. Not really that the dog was talking. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that's kind of what I like about him. Is yeah. that, you know, he kind of leaves shit open that, like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. a famous example. Like, he's like, oh, I could have handled it if it was a dog talking. <laughs> 
But the puff of smoke kind of <laughs> made me think, eh, I'm not, that's not so real. <laughs> <laughs> the green smoke. I, yeah, green smoke. Uh, okay, uh, I, I have to take issue with that. <laughs> yeah. Just we have to realize guy. that what he's trying to do is get published all the time. Right. And he's poor, poor, poor yeah. all the time. And what he's trying to do is write Like Karl Marx kind of poor. They had to burn, her. him and Anna had to burn their furniture you know, just yeah. to stay warm. And they had to wow. live in, they lived in back, you know, they ended up living on Times Square before it was even Times Square. Hell's on Kitchen. The, yeah, in Hell's Kitchen. On these backside tenements. Like Daredevil. Where they, yes. <laughs> and, and they didn't have the radar. Like a bat to know when uh, someone farted. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know when that would have been useful. <laughs> I'm the spleen. Excuse me. <laughs> Anyways, like Charles Fort, we digress. Simon <laughs> <Yeah>. Vesuvius. <laughs> they say there's hails of frogs, but does anyone see the frogs go up? <laughs> you would think there'd be. You think I was joking about this, but that's how his paragraphs go. You'd think someone would notice frogs going up in the air, but no, they only notice them going yeah. down. And he was like the Will Rogers of the scientific method. He was like the guy <laughs> at, you know, or like the, the two old Muppets that were always heckling the Muppets in the theaters. Waldorf. Like, oh, that's, I wouldn't say it's so much of a show. <laughs> you know? Well, he would critique yeah. the scientific method, and then he would claim the scientific method to prescribe something that would right. m make sense in his scientific method. It's neither it was, real nor unreal. Yeah, and then he would disown it all. You are neither morgue or I morgue. I know. He would disown the entire scientific method and, and then just use it at his leisure for whatever he felt like he wanted to justify it a single time. And that's why he's the enfant terrible of science. Right. He would examine the paranormal, allow it to be obtuse and not draw conclusions and then move on to the next paranormal thing that was weird and not explained and then right. move on to the next thing and then bitch about astronomers and then move on to the next thing. And just kind of threw things out there. He was, yeah. and that's what he would always say. Uh -huh. I'm just telling you the data. Right. You know, and hit, it, it move. Was a, hit and move, right. punch and move, uh -huh. <laughs> punch and move, like like a, a boxer of of the paranormal. And this is why people know that earlier in his writings, he had a wit, he had a raw humor, he was making fun of things, right? And or like Chairman Meow, the death of a thousand cuts. <laughs> Chairman Are you saying Meow? meow? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Get out of the car, meow. <laughs> you stop laughing, meow. License and meow registration. Did I say meow? Meow. Am I moving all Did I say meow pimbly? just now? Am I all mimbly pimbly like a cat? You stop laughing, meow. Name that reference. <laughs> but he, he managed to write four books and also... Yes. We, well, he we, wrote Book of the Damned in 1919, and that was a hell of a year to write something. I mean, there's a lot of shit going on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, end of the First World War, the Russian Revolution was only two years old, Roaring Twenties was just, you know, happening. And, you know, his brother died the next year, and 
Well, which actually was a sad event, but the other kid actually uh, left him enough money to live comfortably so he could pursue right. going to the New York li- library. Library. Using his library card. Well, yes. he was furious to find that his book was basically in the crank section of the New York Public Library. Shock, oh, yeah. shock, shock, <laughs> shock! I tell you! But, but where did he want it to be? In the science section? Because yeah, he hate, no shit. hated science, so... Yeah. You have to wonder. I think he was. I think we could say Charles Hoyfort was a true contrarian. <laughs> <laughs> if you're for it, I'm against it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the Book of the Damned was a damned hard read. I mean, mm. damned hard read. And the people who really loved it loved it because they'd never read anything like it. But in our day and age, we've all run into stuff like this. I mean, who hasn't stumbled on a website filled with damned hard to read sentences that don't make sense and draw nine eleven truth <laughs> conclusions that are just crazy? You know, those raining frogs and towers, red meat storms. I love the red meat storms. You know, there was a, a document, a TV series on at one time called Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious Universe. Mm-hmm. And they would cover a lot of these Fordian events. And, of course, Arthur C. Clarke is, you know, was living in Sri Lanka, you know, with his hovercraft and his servants and uh, living off the royalties of all his many books. And, of course, 2001, which we covered in the Kubrick episode. Mm -hmm. They would talk about the Crystal Skull or you know, red meat storms in China. And then at the end, he would just come out and say, no, I don't personally believe in red meat storms, but here's the evidence. Make of it what you will. And it would end that way like every week. And and I kind of like that because it was just saying, you know, fine. Bigfoot, mm. a super Sargasso Sea, and we will talk about the super Sargasso Sea. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing is the, the frog fallings and the fish fallings anytime you've ever heard anyone talk about the homogenous fish fallings it's always a Fortean idea and it's not that fort was the one who proposed it he's the one who cataloged it right it's happened they've said it's happened it's you know been recorded by god knows who god knows when we know eyewitnesses are incredibly reliable right (laughs) Oh, sure. And we don't necessarily know how much whiskey they've had. And There's a lot podcasters of nation. Highly sarcastic. Yeah. So, yes, those <laughs> dot, eyewitnesses. Dot dot. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Nowadays, we have cameras, and you know that when these weird things happen, we'll be there with cameras. But who was there in the 1700s? He would accept eyewitness testimony as the gospel, and then he sure. would disdain Einstein. Because, well, it's just another scientist who doesn't know what he's talking about. I think he's a crackpot. Right. Well, (laughs) and honestly, I've got to tell you, I do think Charles Fort was a crank. I do believe he was a crackpot. You know, just based on the fact that, honestly. A fringer, a one percenter, not unlike Tank Ryan. That's why we're talking about him. I don't believe we're fringers or one percenters that much. Really? Unless you talk rationality (laughs) of the public. I, I tend to see myself as a rational person. I I personally believe in red meat storms. I personally don't. <laughs> if I was in a red meat storm, I would get the grill out. 
because it'd be a perfect time. <laughs> so you're just like running around uh, with a hot grill. It's a perfect storm. <laughs> the perfect storm. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't honestly believe in this. I'm skeptical of all of it. Well, of course. I mean, that's... But that was the thing. Victor is a fanatical skeptic. No, I think... <laughs> that's I all think, fanatics. I think Charles Fort was a fanatical skeptic. Because he was skeptical beyond being skeptical of mysticism. He would just direct his skeptical flashlight wherever he wanted to. And at any given moment, that would be what he was skeptical about. I think Charles Fort was one of those type of people that, you know, would graduate from from Harvard when he was 16 (laughs) and then spent the rest of his life studying train schedules. You know, he was one of these kind of people that, that was way ahead of his time. But let me tell you, he didn't graduate from Harvard. He didn't graduate from high school. He didn't do classic experiments of water turns into a gas, turns into a solid. I'm saying, though, that (laughs) he was one of these people that that took information. It's like that that classic book and movie, Wisconsin Death Trip, where they just take all these news clippings from a certain period of time and they create this whole you know, context that didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. And that's really what the interweb is, is a, a series of contexts that you can either accept or deny. I agree. I agree. So at the time, there was no internet. There was no interweb. And some of the things he was suggesting and then wholesale denying, which was fun. And this is why I call him a crank, but but he was pulling people's chains because it would get him more more published it would get him more widely recognized yeah, and he found that entertaining i think he i think he did find it entertaining yeah. and i think he was pulling people's chains and he was not backing down on it but the super sargasso c he would suggest that rather than uh things being pulled out of water in tornadoes and then being dropped somewhere i, th- I think there was should... a super sargasso c floating above the earth that was dropping things upon us well to his his actual description of the Super Sargasso Sea was that um, what, what he actually called it <laughs> Genestrine, uh, where living things originate and periodically are dumped on Earth by intelligent beings who communicate with secret societies down below, perhaps using teleportation. Oh my God! Boom. If you can tie all that shit together, booyah! But you know what? He yeah. he invented the term teleportation. Yes. Yeah. I totally give him that, and that's awesome. Oh, yeah. He has created a uh, teleportation. Just a teleportation. <laughs> Let's get into the teleporter. He has created a, a gold <laughs> Maybe mine. Maybe someone teleporting here. He created a gold mine for science fiction writers, for, you know, just looking for ideas to base stories on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the he, idea he, wasn't new to him, but, but the term teleportation, yeah. that's his. So that's cool. I give him that. And, so, and he was he coined a few other terms too, which uh, maybe I'll get later. Well, in the show. man, he he created super checkers. Yeah, have you ever seen super checkers? Mm-hmm. It's like huh. eight hundred squares with like four hundred pieces. Right, it's the most insane thing wow. you've ever seen. And yeah, I don't know why <laughs> or how to even play it, but I've seen it and it looks insane. Well, I think one of the one of the more interesting things is that there were about Charles Ford is that in during his lifetime, 
which he died in 1932 of a. Um, I think leukemia. Leukemia. I mean, Likely. I think it was called. No I mean, one really knows. He was scared a of weakness. He was scared of doctors. He yeah. didn't trust doctors. Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, he I'm only shocked, used shocked. he only used a telephone like 20 times because he was distrustful in telephones as well. I mean, <laughs> well, the thing is, though, is that uh, they might steal my soul. There are people that uh, wanted to create a Fordian society, and he would not be part of it. He d- would not. Well, let's let's get back to Ford. He he cataloged analogies. We can get back to Ford. I believe I was talking about Ford. I'm talking about well, moving past his death, the Groucho Marxian view that I will not belong to a club that would ask me to be a member. Right. That's exactly what happened. And he was so widely respected among this group of followers that he didn't really choose that <laughs> he tried to avoid having the anything shoe, to the do. The shoe, the They had to <laughs> like fake a telegram to get him to come to the meeting. They right? did, and it was only until he got to the first <laughs> meeting of the 40th Society. <laughs> That's right, they did. <laughs> He's like, oh, no. The Hermit of the Bronx. And he was basically silent through the whole thing. And, and Theodore Dreiser addressed everybody and talked about everything. And they started the Fortean Society. Right. And uh, Tiffany Thayer, which, who is a man. <laughs> oh, really? Tiffany Ellsworth Thayer. And Fort had trouble with that. He's like, I'll call you Ellsworth. <laughs> I, I often sign into hotels using that. Yeah, Tiffany. <laughs> I, I thought it was a woman too, but yeah, it's a man. He's a kind of a failed actor. He didn't he didn't have a lot of uh, didn't have a lot of work going on. But he was a giant. He hadn't read the Book of the Damned, but he had read uh, one of the later works and became a, a true Fortean. And there were a lot of people who really fell in love with his work upon first reading it because. They saw science as such a didactic thing, and we've talked about how that can be dissuading and uh, the misunderstanding of the scientific method, blah, blah, blah. You read some Charles Fort, and all of a sudden, yada, 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 waka, 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 (laughs) you're a Fortean. (laughs) And you know what? I don't mind. I I would even call myself Fortean about something. I believe that I, myself, am a Fortean. Um, he said that a group, when asked to join or speak to these groups, he said that he did not think such a group would be a good idea because they would tend to attract spiritualists and crackpots. We consider him, yeah. consider himself, again, you know, an atheist, and yet he yeah. was purporting all kinds of crazy after life experiences, he was out and, there. He was an agent provocateur. Yeah. That's of exactly the what he was. Yeah, an you agent know? provocateur of the bizarre. In a way, not like Ripley's Believe It or Not. No, Ripley's like again. That, I know. That's I know. Like a, that's like a, a Barker freak show, right? Or the Learning yeah. Channel. My God, have you seen the Learning Channel recently? <laughs> no, oh, I'm not learning much. God, I, just I was keep a skipping over it. Pound virgin. But yeah. I gotta tell you. <laughs> Dreiser, Dreiser did not like the way Thayer was going with uh, Fort's research. And there was a giant rift at the end of, of Fort's life. Because when Fort died, he was working on um, his last book. It was Wild Talents. Oh, yes, of course. Wild Talents, 
Um, we we should um, yeah. New Lands was in 1923, Low 1931, and Wild Talents in 32. Yeah, if you want to talk about the different books, I mean, was the year he died. New Lands was all about aliens and space and being contacted, and he had different directions where things were going, and yeah. Wild Talents and things were about a lot of telekinesis and other ideas, and that's when he was really getting into things the CIA were thinking maybe we should look into that, <laughs> right. So, I mean, Charles Ford's the kind of guy that you would say, oh, yeah, that's part of the the tinfoil hat crowd. But you would definitely go to a party with him or talk to him. And in the end, you'd be wearing a tinfoil hat. I really like I really like Charles Ford in that he was a hermit. He didn't like people. He liked going to the library. He liked reading about strange things. Right. And he liked bringing them to people's attention. Which I think is the Tank Riot mission statement. (laughs) Really? I think it is. There's some amazing similarities. Really? (laughs) Right. But I do think that, and this is why I don't see myself on the same crank level. Are we a sub-sub-chapter in the 40th century? I'm okay if we're a sub-chapter. But what I have to say is I I believe I have to to interject my own ideas of truth into the sub-chapter. Okay. Like, I don't feel myself a crank. I feel like things are missing in the cracks of society. What we have here and is a situation where in a little bit here and there. You never do until it's too late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> v- 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 Victor Why am I being... wearing a tinfoil hat? I didn't think I was wearing the hat. Victor being the youngest here is a bit delusional, and he thinks he's. <laughs> Why are my pants on the ceiling fan? <laughs> Victor still thinks he's rational and, yeah, and logical. Really. I'm still we all giving up. I'm still, a long time ago. I'm still on that train. Oh jeez. Oh jeez. You know that as it. You hope there's some goddamn Thursday in that bag. <laughs> So anyway, Tiffany Thayer, when he did eventually die, and he died of the leukemia, which we think a strange we're not weakness. Sure, uh, his wife gave Tiffany Thayer a lot of the writings that he'd been keeping. These little tiny snippets of yeah of things, and like, like thirty or forty shoe boxes full right. of tens of thousands of notes, right? And then gave little tiny bits to Theodore Dreiser and uh, other friends. But the Which main... would now just be HTML pages. Right, but, but to the main... So, so everyone's like 40 in shoeboxes are all over hell now. No, not really, because Tiffany Thayer kept everything and kept shopping back to Theodore Dreiser because he had writing credibility, and Tiffany was a writer on his own, but he was trying to create a 40 in society and get th- Theodore Dreiser back into it. You can think of this as the uh, 40 in tweets. Right. Well, this is the discommunication. This is where everything. I hope that didn't come over the mic. I think I heard that. But this is where everything fell apart, and they had trouble like pulling it together. It was after his death, and Dreiser wanted nothing to do with Thayer. And when Dreiser died, his wife wanted nothing to do with Thayer. No one wanted anything to do with Thayer. Right. So what Thayer did was start the Fortean Times all by himself. And he had a giant level of anti-government hysteria written into the Fortean Times all about the government conspiracies. So it's like an early 9-11 truth. Right, right, right. So, <laughs> so all this is like pre-interweb. <laughs> way pre-interweb. And, and, and he was disowned for a while. And, oh, and the Fortean Times was published from 1937 on intermittently by Tiffany Thayer until his death. 
and it had a large anti-government conspiratorial bent to it. Not unlike the Dearborn Independent. (laughs) (laughs) The Fortean types started better. That was the Fortean Society. This is the Fortean Society. Sorry. You're confused there. But there's still Jew problems, I'm sure. Let me look at my notes. (laughs) Yeah, so so, uh, eventually uh, they did pull things together and they they changed the name of it to Doubt. Oh, that's a good name. So wait. Wait, are you sure it was Fortean Times that started out there? Because Fortean Times is a current magazine. Well, was right. It? No, that's the British magazine. So that yeah. was what it was originally worked out as by Tiffany Thayer was the Fortean Times. Uh, the Fortean okay. Society was publishing the works that became Doubt. And, and this magazine is unrelated but related. Uh, it ceased publication okay. in the 1970s. Well, then that okay. led to the International Fortean Organization, or the Info. Info. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's like a misnomer. Now, now, the Fortean Times that you might find on your news rack, that started in 1973. Right. Right. That's the yeah. one that I used to read. Yeah. No, I'm talking about the 1937 one. <laughs> okay. Well, I read that one, too. But, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I'm an immortal. <laughs> so... You know, and you know, also talked a lot about cryptozoology, which I believe we dedicated a podcast to. Well, we could dedicate more to. I mean, cryptozoology is awesome, and there's a lot of great stories in cryptozoology. And Charles Fort loved to just point out strange and new and wonderful things, right. and and strange and wonderful and weird hypotheses. But he buttressed against science so badly and so blatantly held a disregard for the scientific method, which I don't actually think he understood. No, I don't think he did either. And and that's, it's kind of like, again, the parallel with Ayn Rand. You know, you're not really getting it, but, you know, there are parts that are fine, and we'll just take that and go for there. But look, there. you're a newspaper writer. You want to make, you want to make page. You want to make people read you. He had an eloquent style. He had great similes and great, you know, analogies he wrote great paper he wrote things that people wanted to read at the time and he was effective he didn't care about science i don't think at all not really but see i kind of agree with his his point of view in that i don't think a dog would disappear in a puff of green smoke but it could talk (laughs) (laughs) and you know i just want to leave that open i mean i just you know yeah like with the cryptozoology episode, we were talking about the bloop. Mm-hmm. It's just this big sound recording, and it's like, I don't know what it is, but it's deep and it's fucking big. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's really all I got to know. <laughs> well, no, I, and I, I, I totally understand that nowadays we have scientists doing double-blind testing, whereas at the time, you know, you would have a hypothesis as a scientist, and it, right. could, in, it could in fact your research yeah yeah. and we all know that research ethics were just great all through the 1940s and 50s oh yeah tuskegee you know yeah oh yeah Yeah. good example so (laughs) (laughs) charles ford is is somewhat credited with with identifying uh problems with scientific experiments right I, i give i give him credit for that kind of thinking but i think that we have to move beyond the fortian ideas now because we built in double-blind research. There are scientists working day and night very hard. Well, I think 
that so we've learned a lot the in lesson the last of Charles years. Ford is is that the scientific method when used by the wrong people can become a dogma it can become a trap I don't think that you have to make a leap of faith I don't think that you necessarily have to believe in red meat storms but you can leave yourself open to the fact that Man, sometimes there's just some shit you can't explain. Well, that's why I like like the Paul Thomas Anderson film that had the Reign of Frogs at the end of it. It was kind of that way. It was like, look, Reign of Frogs. Sometimes there's shit you just can't explain. Right. And you might not be able to. And there's yeah. no point in going into that. It's right. just, you know, it is what it is. I found that off-putting when I first saw yeah. it. And then I was like, maybe that's what he's saying. He's like, stuff's going to happen. We'll figure it out later. That's right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> figure it out later. Uh, to tie into some other uh, Tank Ride episodes, uh, uh, Philip K. Dick was a fan of Charles Fort. Oh, my God, I'm shocked to find that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, 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 he's, he's a great influence for, uh, or great uh, maybe uh, subject material for possible story writing and that sort of thing. Sure. Let me uh, read you a letter. One letter. All right. Dreiser wrote H.G. Wells and told H.G. Wells how great Dreiser, how great Dreiser thought. <laughs> Let me Charles Fort Tuesday. H.G. <laughs> Wells wrote him back and said, Dear Dreiser, I'm having Fort's Book of the Dam sent back to you. Fort seems to be one of the most damnable bores who ever cut scraps out of out of the way newspapers. I thought they were facts, and he writes like a drunkard. Low the novel has been sent to me, but has gone into my waste paper basket. And what do you mean by forcing orthodox science to do this or that? Science is a continuing exploration, and how in the devil can it have an orthodoxy? The next thing you'll be writing is the dogmas of science, like some blasted Roman Catholic priest on the defensive. When you tell a Christian you don't believe some yarn he can't prove, he always calls you dogmatic. Scientific workers are first-rate stuff and very ill-paid, and it isn't for the likes of you and me to heave forts at them. God dissolve and forgive your Fortean society. Yours, H.G. Wells. God forgive wow. your Fortean society? God forgive... Who's a socialist? Oh, my God. God That's dissolve retarded. and forgive your Fortean wow. society. Wow. Yeah, so H.G. Wells didn't dig it. Wow. <laughs> Well, I don't know if I can top that, <laughs> but there is a, a, another tank riot tie-in. There is a uh, a atomic robo uh, comic book story that involves Charles Fort and uh, Nikolai Tesla. They're involved, whatever. They're characters in the story, yeah. and, and they and they work on something together. But I I'm kind of I haven't read this yet, but I, I I'm curious to check out that comic book now. You know, Theodore Dreiser, big pusher of Fort, but he also uh, tried to stop Emma Goldman from being deported from the United States. So there's some good in that literary community, and I think there's some yeah. good in Charles Fort. And, you know, without Charles Fort, yeah. we wouldn't have the X-Files. We wouldn't have a lot of the great it's fine. theater It's fine artwork. to embrace rationalism and the scientific method, but it's also fine to embrace the bizarre and unexplained. 
because I think it's more it, fun. embraces it in a fun it, way. Exactly. Yeah. Hold it exactly where it belongs to it, be it, with a lot it, of skepticism. And I don't know if we and wit and humor and exactly. Fun. Yeah. He he did look at it in in a humorous way, and and he used it as a cut kind of a thing just to amuse oneself with all this strange stuff. There is a LibriVox recording, which is free. It's all public domain now. You can, you know, Book of the Dam is all public domain free. So LibriVox did audio recordings of at least the Book of the Damned, and you can listen to it. And it's crazy to listen to. It's fun stuff. It's strange. This is way before it became serious. This is, you know, what what Ford was doing was way before it became government conspiracy theory that right. Tiffany Thayer brought into the Fordian society. I mean, and started to create yeah. into the. He brought in, you know, the cryptozoology, uh-huh. the 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 ufologists. All these people have embraced for it mm-hmm. and said, "Well, okay, but what about this? All these people who have seen this, this, and this. How do you explain that?" And they're all kind of like banging on the door, right? You know, of dogma and saying, "And and you know what? It, it's fine." And it, Fort didn't want to be in the society. No, he wanted to start an idea. He loved people getting excited about it. He didn't want to explain it. He didn't want to well, get again, into it's it. Like cream. Uh-huh. Yeah, getting near done. Okay, you da, guys, you da, figure out the rest. Da, da, da. <laughs> yeah, he. All right. Didn't well, let's want get. That. Let's. I'm sorry, Tor. Do you have something? Oh, the Fortean Society dissolved after uh, Tiffany's death, right? Right. And, and then uh, th- there was a new organization started up. I'm trying to find the name. I believe it was uh, the Kiwanis. The Kiwanis, yes. <laughs> you know, hey, I used to play on the Kiwanis baseball team. No way. No I, way. I was like the worst baseball player ever. How about the Benevolent Paternal Order of Elks? Uh, we baby. We can beat you. They were the competition. <laughs> we can't <laughs> but uh, it was like something like the International uh, Fortean Organization or, or something like that. But anyway, the, the acronym was uh, INFO. And, and right, it, right. Sputnik already mentioned that. Oh, okay. The INFO acronym. Yeah, yeah. All right. Sorry, I guess I spaced out there for a minute there. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I, that started about 1961 or so. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's just classic like, kind of 60s uh, acronym organization, you know, the type of stuff you get in Bond movies and that sort of thing. So I thought that was cool. I did... Purchase. If you go to your newsstand now, you might find uh, the Fortean Times Paranormal Handbook, which is a fun little uh, magazine. Uh, it's basically kind of a book that covers all kinds of paranormal stuff uh, ghost hunting, cryptozoology, miracles, life after death, crop circles, <laughs> psychic powers, alien big cats, UFOs, all kinds of good stuff. I think we had a poltergeist here in the studio. <laughs> poltergeist, yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah, it always comes down to plumbing. But uh, <laughs> anyway, it's a fun little book, and it's, you know, it doesn't say any of this is true. It it just kind of puts it out there, like we're saying. It puts it out there. Look at this, you know? It's kind of neat. And, you know, okay, I, I like, for example, the first chapter on, on ghost hunting, or, or ghost in general, yeah. it, it really says that, you know, there's really not a whole lot of evidence, but there's a lot of stories through time about ghosts. Towards the end of the ghost hunting chapter in the uh, Paranormal Handbook, it goes on to explain how <laughs> kind of fun it can be to join a ghost hunting group and, uh, uh, yeah. y- you know, go on a ghost hunting expedition. And it, and it 
pretty much says it's not necessarily that scientific, but it, it can be a lot of fun. It does give some recommendations, though, <laughs> uh, on how to be a little bit more scientific. Than, See, I think Gerald's Fort scientific. was kind of like yeah. an early predecessor of Hunter S. Thompson. You know, infiltrate, yeah. go in, have fun, write about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Victor, I think you're kind of going around the lines of, I think it was Rudyard Kipling who once said, Fuck around, fuck around. Soon you won't be around. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, why don't we go to mailbag? So since this is episode 80, we have a contest. Yes. If you can name all three of the films that the Viking princess names, movie one, movie two, and movie three, we will randomly pull from the hat of the winners... Yes, you'll win some bitchin' Scani swag. We'll send you some Scani swag. And yes. if you're if you're out on a crab boat in the middle of uh, God knows where or New Zealand or whatever, man, you can break this shit up huge. Couple hints. Yeah, and we have. Uh, it's a swine flu. Oof. <laughs> swine flu in the bunker. So happy about that. So we have. Uh, a G movie, a PG, and a PG-13 movie. I don't know Nothing's G- rated R. Here is the th- eight-year-old Viking princess with her movie clues. <laughs> movie number one. A robot brain gets fried and it runs away to start a new life. Movie number two. A guy goes to the jungle to solve a mystery and rescues a bat. Movie number three. A little girl collects nuts and finds something magical and gets lost. Her big sister finds her. All right, we're going to the mailbag, which, of course, is feedback at tankriot.com. So if you... If you have some feelings about uh, Charles Ford or the Fordian Society or anomalous phenomena, please let us know at that address. But meanwhile, we'd like to respond to some uh, emails we've already received. This one is from Jonathan, who uh, is talking about uh, Oak Island. Uh, This ties into our pirate episode. We missed Talk Like a Pirate Day, which was last Saturday. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. We did a talk like a pirate. Arr, we never <laughs> September nineteenth. Gar. So let's let's read this email like pirates. <laughs> well, actually, Jonathan is just asking us about. Uh, oh, that's his, not very pirate like. All right. Yeah, that was kind of prissy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Gar. Jonathan is talking about Oak Island. Arr, Oak Island. Oak Island. I remember it well. I've only been there one or twice times. <laughs> the Rhode Island pirate. I was sailing somewhere between Port Royal and the Tri Tortugas. <laughs> but <laughs> anyways, he's he's talking about Oak Island, which is um a wonderful urban legend, which has uh actually cost some human lives where they're looking for pirate treasure. And they're just honestly trying to dig too far into very sandy, unstable soil. And, and let me just verify. 
you had heard about this before the email, right? Yes, of course. We have a winner. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Oak Island is, uh, you know, one of the great pirate classics, uh, you know, in search of boo, 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 boo. <laughs> Some of these Did episodes... Charles Fort tip you off? <laughs> <laughs> yes, as, as a Paul. Oh, Charles, Charles Fort's <laughs> millions are buried there. Gar. Gar. <laughs> But uh, Oak Island is is um, an island. I shouldn't run my machine below ground. <laughs> yeah. My digging machine. Yes, exactly. My jackhammer. Pirates basically pissed away all their booty on whores and booze. I, I don't. Not necessarily in that order. Well. <laughs> I don't know. It depends on your pirate. Ah, you might start with the booze. No, you're thinking pirate would go for the whores and the booze. <laughs> I'm just saying. It wasn't always whores and booze. Your swabby might go more might for the booze, booze and whores. whores. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's... Uh, They're pirates, but the, they weren't It depends it on the up. cut of your jib. They weren't burying it in Nova Scotia. You cannot it's discount picking it's, up some good fancy dress, too. I mean, they like their fancy clothes. Remember reading about that in my research. They like their fancy pirates. <laughs> yeah, they like. Come on, yes, that's I a known feel fact. Pretty, oh, oh, so, so pretty. pretty. Those are the Penzance pirates. They, pirates yeah. they like the flamboyant <laughs> clothes. Okay. <laughs> your ruffled shirt, your uh, yeah. feather from your three corner hat. Uh huh. Exactly. But we're not here to judge no I, i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that it's just you know i usually wear a three-cornered hat yeah really yeah. doesn't like oh you like, don't oh okay yeah. okay like you don't <laughs> <laughs> anyways oak island uh, people are looking for buried pirate treasure and it's unstable soil and bad things happen i that's kind of my oak island haiku okay we have Another mailbag from Gregory, who uh, is talking about the American version of Rashomon, which, of course, was The Outrage, 1964, starring Paul Newman, Edward G. Robinson. Yeah. Where's your Moses now? We got to build a golden calf. Yeah. yeah. Or Soylent Green. That was another one. Soul Roth. Yes. And, of course, William Shatner. Who's he? Captain I think he's the guy that does the Priceline quirk. Yeah, <laughs> the perkening. <laughs> the perkening. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I didn't know they made uh, an American remake. I had no idea. I didn't either. I'll have to wow. search my video shelves for the outrage. And you yeah. know, Paul Newman in that one apparently plays the uh, bandit. He's a bandit. Yeah. He Paul wow. Newman is the. To Shiro Mufune character. Paul Newman put it out there. That's crazy. Back in the day. Yeah, I can't see that. I was hoping Shatner would be the dick who kills Newman. Well, he was a dick for so many (laughs) years. DJ Hooker. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, we'll look forward to that. I don't think William Shatner truly became lovable until um, Rescue 911 and uh, Boston Legal. Really? Yeah. I think he was, you know, pretty much a classic dick. Yeah. I mean, Captain Kirk was a dick. I always enjoyed yeah. his dramatic acting in classic Star Trek. I think Captain Kirk was a lovable dick. And That's... They, they all kind of enjoyed his No antics. beach to walk on. 
<laughs> We're doing like a lot of Star Trek references. We haven't had one Star Wars yeah. reference, and that kind of blows. I think, I think Bones and Thor. Spock, they, they knew that the voyage would be much more boring if they didn't have Kirk doing all the crazy stuff. You know, maybe you're right. Well, actually, here, I have a... Uh, an, an email. As long as we're doing email, we'll get back to the mailbag. This uh, email from John, and uh, and he's from Helsinki, which is in Finland. Holy Ned. And uh, anyway, anyway, he likes the podcast, and uh, he wants to tell us about a nice magazine they have in Helsinki called Welcome to Finland, which they but they abbreviate the title and and, and just throw a big WTF. On the cover. What the fuck? Yeah. Well, <laughs> what the we fuck? all know that means, you know, what the fart or whatever. Right? <laughs> right. And, uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's that's what we know it as. Yeah. So, uh, Tori, you it's, have it's uh, kind of lost roots, in translation. Oh, I, I, I'm 25% Finnish, actually. 25%? Yes. I have partaken in the sauna. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I pray that's not a euphemism. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's <laughs> that that's a hot room with. Uh, then you run out yeah. naked into the snow. I mean, isn't that isn't that the ritual? Uh, I, I did that. Well, I can't. I, I swimsuit on, but you know, yeah, I did it once and. Anyway. Get beat with birch branches or long not? story is the guys you know wouldn't would let me back at the house right away so it's freaking freezing but anyway that's just you know it's weird stuff you know it's kind of you know shit that we we don't really mean talking about during mailbag <laughs> don't talk yeah, about this this is no, mailbag not exactly, tea bag you know, stuff happens like you know way above the fine curtain you know so uh yeah Anyway, but uh, thanks for the email from John. And uh, you know the image we, we is available. all really like Finland. Yeah, the, Cause, cause the, the, the Finland is where uh, Star Trek and the Perkinine came from, correct? Yep. Yes. Yes. Great there's movie. Some, there's some great cutting edge shit happening in Finland. I looked for an image yeah. so that Tor could post this on our website, and there was a 2007 image from Boing Boing already. So this had been this had been seen, and this we can is old news. Yeah. Huh? No, we can link or, to it, and we should because. It's hilarious. The picture of the actress's face on What the Fuck magazine is pretty goddamn awesome. So, how, uh, how do you mean that? She's just looking so happy and what the fuck? What the fuck? And let's not All swear. Right. What the? Burp, burp. So yeah, yeah, it, it it's pretty good. So right. we'll we'll throw a copy of the cover on the website, but boing boing, and it's already out there. Um. Yeah. Victor, do you have something for mailbag? Well, Chris McGowan emailed us that he heard the Wilhelm scream in Inglorious Bastards. That's a great movie, by the way. I don't know if we can say this in front of Tor because yeah, you haven't seen I, it yet. I still got to see it yet. I had a diversion to Houston, Texas, and uh, anyway, anyway uh, I, yeah, that's my Wilhelm scream. So apparently, he saw it and. uh he heard it during the scene in the theater, plug your ears for, where the theater is on fire and also during the Eli Roth machine gun part. So if you're going to see that movie, check it out because I love the movie. thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Missing out. I thought too, and I, I like it a lot. The fact that it includes the Wilhelm scream 
Tori, you can unplug your ears. Okay. Awesome uh, film. So I would say I th- I think it's a, a a Quentin Tarantino classic. Master, but it's not. I think what Victor said before about it, it not really matching up with the trailer is very true. Uh, the performance of the uh, SS Colonel is not in those trailers at all, and he just runs away with the movie. Hans Landa. And uh, Brad Pitt is very good. Uh, forget about Troy. Forget about the incredibly boring story of Benjamin Why is Biden. his name Landa or Aldo? Lando? Aldo Ray. He's Lieutenant Aldo Ray because Aldo Ray was in every American war movie from about like 1940 on. And um, they also have a reference to uh, Private Shell's baby boy who was just born, Max a million. Maximilian Shell. And they also play, when the theater is burning, uh, the song from Kelly's Heroes, Whether in the Town with the Three Tigers. Yeah, so there's... And I know you people know what I'm talking about. Because if you haven't seen <laughs> Kelly's Heroes, well, fuck you! You shouldn't be listening to Tank <laughs> Riot if you haven't seen Kelly's Heroes. I've modeled my life after Oddball. And by the by way... Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. Clint Eastwood. Come on. Who the heck is Kelly's Heroes? Tor. <laughs> Don't make me come over there. God damn it. We're gonna have to end it. this episode. He hasn't <laughs> seen this. <laughs> Tor. So, good night from tropical Madison, Wisconsin. You know what? It's not tropical at all. It's turning to shit. It's foggy. We had three... With a chance of shit. Over foggy. three and a half inches of rain in one day. It's end of the world shit here. Hey, I rode my bike through that. Seriously? Yeah, you I did. Combined? Yeah, I did. I, I brought my seat in to uh, dry in the office. I had it hanging from my Velcro strap right next to the fan. That must have looked uh, a little different. Yeah, it looked a little different, yeah. But it, it, yeah. it dried out. I'm a doctor, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Good night from Scotty Nation and Tank Riot. And I just want to say that I appreciate all of you listeners. And I wish I could thank each one of you personally in the dark. Good night. That's a complete conspiracy, you know. All the evil people of the world have banded together. Communists, subversives, thieves. It's a total, complete, worldwide conspiracy.
communist infiltration, communist indoctrination, communist subversion, and the international communist conspiracy to sap and impurify all of our precious bodily fluids. cover sheet on your TPS reports, Richard. That shit ain't new, baby. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Janice. 